in, Rocky Peak? How are we doing this weekend? Hey, it is good to be with you once again. Whether you're joining us on campus, inside the worship center, out on the patio, or you're joining us online, welcome to Rocky Peak. And in particular, if you're joining us or tuning in for the very first time, and with it being baptism weekend, we know that we have many of you joining us for the very first time. Special welcome to you. We're very glad that you're here this weekend. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rocky Peak, and we're going to go ahead and go into that time of teaching. So if you haven't done so yet, inside your program is a green and white message note sheet, which is going to be a great tool to help you follow along with this time of teaching. I'm going to pray. We're going to dive right in. Jesus, watching a video like that Tanzania video, it excites me on a number of different levels. But one of the areas that excites me the most is that it reminds me of how big you are, that you truly are a global king, that you are not limited to one church, to one state, to one nation, that as we celebrate baptisms and hear these stories from different ages, different backgrounds, you are not limited to one type of person. When we say, Jesus, that you are the king of kings, we truly mean that you are king of all. And that is a beautiful truth. And so we, as your church, as we open up your word, which is living and active, we want to approach it with the posture that this is the words of our king speaking life and transformation directly into our heart. And so as we go into this time of teaching, as I often pray the words of my hero, John the Baptist, I pray that I as a communicator would become much, much less. I pray that you, King Jesus, would become much, much more. And because of which, I pray that we leave this place different than how we came in. And it's in your name, King Jesus, that we all set. Amen. Amen. So this weekend, we're going to be continuing this series we've been in for the last several weeks or so called Supernatural Discovering Your True Identity. And if you're here for the very first time, really the heart or vision behind this series is that when we look at Scripture, in particular the New Testament, we see that when a man or woman becomes a follower of Jesus, that a significant change occurs. Over the last several weeks, Michael's been using these words that this change is very deep. It's a very profound change. It's very powerful. In fact, there's no better word to describe it other than what we named this series supernatural. A supernatural change occurs. And with this change, we receive a brand new identity that comes with a brand new power, that comes with a new perspective, a new purpose, it comes with a new enemy, it comes with a new destiny. And so each week in this series, what we've been doing as we've been exploring a specific area of this new identity, and as we've unpacked it, the hope is to better understand it so as to continue to unleash God's epic vision in each and every one of our lives. And so this weekend, what we're gonna be talking about is that when we give our lives to Jesus, one of the key changes that's part of our new identity is that Christ followers, we each receive a new calling. In other words, we each receive a new mission. And there on the front of your note sheet, we're jumping right into a Finland. We're coming in hot this week in Rocky Peak. It's this, Christ followers are now partners 
in Jesus' mission. Christ followers are now partners in Jesus' mission. If you have given your life to Jesus, this is now the calling that King Jesus has placed in your life. And what I love about this truth is that if you're familiar with the word calling, often you hear that calling when it comes to people who vocationally are religious leaders. You hear of pastors or elders as people that are called by God. Maybe sometimes you associate that with what we would call the elite Christ followers, the super Christians who somehow only sin three times a day and never question and have the perfect answers, a lot of the times we wouldn't associate that term with us, but that's the beauty of this supernatural change is that if you are here as a Christ follower, as someone who has given your life over to the leadership of King Jesus, if you have received his forgiveness for your sins, if you have begun this journey of transformation, then it doesn't matter do you have all the answers. It doesn't matter your relationship status. It doesn't matter what has worked out and what has not. What matters is you are called to be a partner in the mission of expanding the kingdom of God, in the mission of expanding that life and life to the full is found in the arms of the beautiful Jesus that we worship. See there in your note sheet, I love from John chapter 17. Before Jesus went to the cross, he prays over his disciples and this prayer is much bigger than just the 11 immediate men that remained with him. This is a prayer for all of us today. They, the disciples, are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, transform them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Christ follower, this is your calling. Now, as we talk about this, I understand that there's a group of us that hear that and you're immediately excited. You're like jumping out of your chair going, let's get to work. And then there's the rest of us. What I would call the normal folk. that we hear this calling and it likely brings a level of intimidation, doesn't it? When we think about ourselves as partners in the work of Jesus, often for many of us, our first reaction are what I call the but what about responses. Uh, Are you sure you meant me? But what about the fact that I don't have all the answers? What about, all the, what about the fact that my life isn't always uh, clean? A lot of times it's often a mess, but what about this, but what about that? In fact, we start thinking of all the reasons to disqualify ourselves from this calling that God has given us. In fact, let me illustrate it like this. Last Sunday, like many of you, I was yelling at my television because I was watching the Super Bowl. And if you're a sports fan, you're used to yelling at the coaches and the athletes when you watch. And the truth is, that starts building an arrogance in us. We start to legitimately believe that we know better than the people on the fields. 
that if only they would listen to us, then everything would work out. And yet the truth of the matter is hardly any of us have ever played at a professional level. And with that, we have no idea about the pressure of being a professional athlete, let alone playing in the Super Bowl, this one game that most NFL players work their entire career to hope to make it to. So now imagine it this way. There was a point, or two points, I should say, in that game in which each of the quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford and Jay Burrow, they limped off the field. And the question became, are they okay? Are they going to be able to come back? Let's say that one of those quarterbacks went down and wasn't able to come back. And instead of the coach sending in the second or the third string, he sent you in. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about a fantasy version of you that has been preparing for this moment. I'm talking about you in this moment right now. They sent you in. What would you be thinking? Honestly, for many of us, we would go, I am not equipped for this. And for many of us, that's how we feel when it comes to this calling to partner with the work of Jesus. I am not equipped for this. And you know what? You're right. You are absolutely right. On our own, we are not equipped for this. But not only does Jesus put a new calling, a new mission on our life, but he gives us a new equipping to be able to accomplish this mission, which is what we call spiritual gifts. And so in the time that we have left this weekend, what I wanna do is I wanna begin exploring and unpacking this new equipping that we call spiritual gifts. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Spiritual Gifts, New Tools for Our New Callings. And so as we unpack this, what would be handy is to have a working definition of what a spiritual gift is. So there in your note sheet, I really like the definition that Pastor Rick Warren out of Saddleback Church uses in his uh, very famous book, The Purpose Driven Life. He says that spiritual gifts are special God-empowered abilities, which you underline that, are special God-empowered abilities for serving him that are given only to believers. You can't earn your spiritual gifts or deserve them. That's why they're called gifts. And so as we begin to unpack this, we need to make an important distinction that spiritual gifts are something significantly different than simple abilities or natural talents that we may have. To understand a spiritual gift is to understand that it is a supernatural empowering by the grace of God to do what you and I could not do on our own. It is only through God's empowering that we're able to use these spiritual gifts. So let me give you an example of what I mean. There is the spiritual gift of teaching. And let me sidebar real quick here. That's a big, big bucket with a lot of different applications. What I am doing right now is not the only form of that gift. There are numerous ways to exhibit the spiritual gift of teaching, but somebody does not have the spiritual gift of teaching simply because they are naturally gifted at saying words out loud. 
God supernaturally will imbue that ability and allow them uh, and empower those words to make Jesus clearer in a way that they could not do on their own. That is an example of how God empowers us through these gifts. And so what I want to do in our time in Scripture this weekend is I want to again begin unpacking this further, and we're going to go together to a very famous Scripture in the New Testament that begins to unpack this for us. But before we do, I want to go ahead and I want to set some guardrails as we jump in. See, depending on your church background, depending on the teaching you've gotten before, we're coming from a lot of different spectrums. There are some of us here that are very comfortable with the idea of spiritual gifts. There are some of us here that this is brand new. We've never heard this before. There are some of us that when we hear spiritual gifts, it actually makes us uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. There are many that this idea of spiritual gifts can be confusing, can be mysterious, it can even be divisive. And so let me tell you my hope for our time together as we go into the passage. This time together is not going to settle any and all theological debates. This time is not going to dig in into specific things or renounce or specifically confirm any secondary issues. The hope of our time is to go to the word of God and anchor ourselves in overarching truths in the primary, which will then allow ourselves to better understand, to better use, but also it'll open the door for further learning, for further study, as well as further debate when it comes to the spiritual gifts. So that's our hope for our time this weekend. So with that, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians in our New Testament. And we're going to be going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've got a physical Bible, I hope you have a pen or a highlighter handy. If you've got your app, get that function ready. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Would you underline or highlight that phrase? We're gonna talk a little bit more about that in just a bit, but from the beginning, Paul is establishing ownership of these gifts. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led us stay to mute idols. He's talking about who we were before Jesus. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so let's stop right there. And so Paul, before he goes into the specific teaching of the gifts, he's focusing the church at Corinth. He's reminding them of who they were, and he's reminding them that now, because of Jesus, this supernatural change is a radical departure from who you used to be. Paul is reminding us that walking with the Lord, the Christian life, so to speak, is not meant to be, as I've often said, a slightly better version of who we were before, but again, it's meant to be holy, new, radically different creations with a new hierarchy under the leadership of King Jesus and a radical aspect of this new identity are gonna be the spiritual gifts that he's gonna go in and begin to unpack. Now in the next couple of scriptures, I want you to notice something. 
there is going to be an intentional repetition of two key words, the word different and the word same. And so I realize for some of you in your apps, this may be kind of difficult, but if you're able to, I want you to underline or highlight each time you see each of the words, different and same. So verse four, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now let's stop right there, because right there, we're given some absolutely essential teaching to root ourselves, what I would call the primary of what spiritual gifts are and how to use them well. And one thing when we're learning to study the Bible is that when we see what's called intentional repetition, that is, as Michael would put it, the author's putting neon lights around something saying, do not miss them. And so again, Paul is beginning to establish the primary of spiritual gifts so that we have the right understanding and the right focus so that we can use them the right way and not get lost in the weeds. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a couple of fill-ins and I wanna begin to unpack this together. The first fill-in is this, spiritual gifts are given. Spiritual gifts are given given. And this is what Rick Warren had said as well, right? That's why they're called gifts. And it's very important that this is our starting point when it comes to any type of understanding or application of the spiritual gifts, that the spiritual gifts are not earned. It is not given to me because I outworked any other believer. It is not given to me because I met some type of spiritual threshold or I was handed a spiritual gold star by God saying you're the citizen of the weak. Spiritual gifts are given by a generous and gracious God. And the reason why this has to absolutely be our foundation is that we need to approach spiritual gifts with the posture of humility. When we look at spiritual warfare going on in our world, one of the key areas of attack is to devalue humility. It's almost a curse word in our culture this day. Humility is weakness. Humility does not get the job done. Humility does not win. And what's so dangerous about this is humility is the character and heart of Jesus. Humility is strength. Humility is not only what endured the cross, humility is what conquered sin, the grave, death, and hell itself. And so when it comes to any aspect of our spiritual lives, but in particular this, we need to come with a posture of 
humility that these gifts are given through a generous, a gracious God. They are not deserved, but we are receiving a supernatural empowerment from a good, good Jesus. These are his gifts in which he is imparting to us, and we now have the opportunity to use them for his purposes. Humility is where this begins. But not only that, humility reminds us of something absolutely essential when it comes to spiritual gift, that as the giver of the gift, God has full authority over them. God has full authority over the gifts he gives. That means that God determines what gifts he gives. God determines how many gifts he gives. God determines how the gifts are to be used. God determines when they are to be used. God determines if there is a time for the use of that gift to be over in our lives. Again, this posture of humility is a beautiful starting point because we remember that God is in charge and I am not. And that is the right place to begin when it comes to partnering with him. And so with that, that leads us actually to our second fill-in, that spiritual gifts are varied. Spiritual gifts are varied. And one thing that we need to acknowledge about God from the very beginning of scripture is that God is not boring. If you look at the very opening chapters of Genesis, immediately we're introduced to God as a beautiful creator who created so much and beautifully created diversity in the world around us, diversity in the people that we are sitting among. What we see throughout the story of God, throughout the story of scripture, is that diversity in so many aspects of that word is by design. And diversity is not a threat to the church of Jesus, but diversity is one of its key strengths. A little bit of context, Paul is writing this letter to a church that is deeply fractured and divided, and they are at war with one another, trying to erase their differences. And Paul is reminding them, don't erase the differences that God has put in you, but in fact declare that God is uniting such a different and varied group of people. In fact, the second half of this chapter is all about the fact that we've been created different on purpose, and the supernatural natural unity is one of our key strengths. And so one of the things we need to understand is God is the giver of the strength, of the gifts. God is the author and creator of the gifts. And God designed and gives different gifts on purpose. But catch this, to be used together. We are better together. Our spiritual gifts were not given to be used in isolation, but they were given to be used together. And so one thing that I wanna address while we're on this point as well is that one of the difficult things with spiritual gifts is sometimes it's hard to see the value in the gifts we've been given. 
Sometimes one of the mistakes, one of the temptations we give into is we try to find value in the gift itself rather than value in the giver of the gifts, God the Father. And what we're being reminded of through this beautiful diversity, this variety of gifts, is that all gifts are given by God. Therefore, all gifts have beautiful value that only God could bring regardless of the gifts. And the reason why it's so important to remember and root ourselves in that truth is often when it comes to spiritual gifts, there tends to be two temptations we all face or struggle with in life. And this isn't on your note sheet, but I like the words that Rick Warren uses in his book. And so feel free to go to write these down if you want. The first temptation is this. Often when it comes to spiritual gift, there's a temptation to what we call gift envy. There's a temptation to feel like other people got a really great gift and you kind of got the short end of it. There's a temptation to desire, quote, a better gift, a greater gift. And it's not always a desire necessarily for a more public or a more spectacle-filled gift. Honestly, I think from most of our hearts, it's a desire for a gift that's easier to measure. Are we doing this right or not? Let me give you a common scenario. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands or anything. But let me give you this common scenario. Have you ever had an experience like this? in which you looked at somebody else's obvious gift and you went, wow, she has the gift of wisdom. And feel free to fill in the blank with she, with whoever you want, because we've got some amazingly wise women here at Rocky Pig. She has the gift of wisdom. Man, she is speaking God's words and God's presence into people's lives, helping them see him better, helping them follow God better. And me, I've got the gift of hospitality. And that's cool, like people come to my house and they feel warm and welcome, but come on, like wisdom, that's gotta be better, right? And that's the lie. Each gift given is for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God. God does not waste a single gift. And so regardless of what the gift is, the value comes from the giver. The truth is the value comes from God himself, not from the gift itself. And God will use all the gifts for his work and his purpose. But then there's the second temptation, which is gift projection, which is when we know our gifts, when we like our gifts, and we feel like the world would work a lot easier if everybody had our gifts. We feel like we could accomplish more. We feel like we could move faster, move bigger, move harder. Frankly, we feel at times if everybody was just like me, then there would be no conflict. (sighs) And the temptation in that is to diminish what God values. God values each and every one of the gifts. And our opportunity as Christ followers is to learn to value what God values you, this variety, this gift, this celebration. And so again, the fact that God has full authority of the variety of gifts is intended to root us in truth. That whatever it is he has given us, it is for his glory and his purpose and will be used to expand his kingdom. 
And so we're going to go back to our passage before we go jump into the third filling. Going back to verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation. It's another way of saying shining the light of truth. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Would you underline or highlight that phrase? For the common good. And one thing to know that when we see this word good often in scripture talking about mission, it's not simply about doing simple good things. It's not simply about helping people across the street or saying please and thank you. When we see the word good in this context in scripture, it's talking about mission. It's talking about the greatest good, which is expanding the kingdom of God and letting life transform those that have yet to experience it. As you walked into this building, those of you on campus, you saw the all serve signs. It says created to do good works, meaning created to be partners in the kingdom. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about. And so now what Paul is going to do, he's going to transition a little bit, and he's going to begin listing out examples of spiritual gifts that God gives. And as we go into this, I want to set a couple guardrails for us again, as we talked about that we're looking at a very big picture view this weekend. The first thing that we need to understand is, as far as we understand, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. It's not the only list we're giving in Scripture. We're seeing that there's one in Ephesians, we see one in Romans chapter 12, and so it's not meant to be exhaustive, but the other thing to know when Paul begins listing out different gifts is that it seems that they are actually big buckets. So like I mentioned teaching as an example earlier, that there are a lot of applications, a variety of ways this gift can be used and this gift can be exhibited. And so I'm going to read through it and then I'm going to give a brief, uh, a brief insight into each of them to better help us understand. And so starting in verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. Now let's pause right there. First and foremost, just in that short list, you see variety, don't you? In fact, you see some radical variety and radical differences in that. And so again, just a starting point on some of these buckets that Paul has given us, this idea of wisdom, the gift of wisdom and knowledge often is the supernatural ability to bring what I would call insight and truth into a situation or into life that makes Jesus known, his presence known in any given situation. This gift of faith is different in a sense. All Christ followers have faith, but there are some that are supernaturally gifted to have this radical dependence on God, even in the most extreme of circumstances. These healings and these miracles, this is things we saw the apostles doing in the early church. These are literal acts of restoration that are meant to point to the great restorer that is Jesus himself. 
this gift of prophecy, when we look at the example of the Old Testament prophets, they are, we, we often immediately think of them saying something that has yet to come, talking about the future. And while that is an aspect of prophecy, often the, the job of prophets was to declare God's presence in the now, how God is moving in the now, how God refocusing people, Jesus is here now in our lives, in our world, and in these situations. Distinguishing the spirits, I like to call this a spiritual spider sense, in which you see or can sense a distortion of Jesus that is happening. And often this comes with a deep love for scripture in which you want, going back to scripture to go, this is the Jesus as revealed through God's word. This is how Jesus is. This is how Jesus is to be portrayed. This gift of tongues, talking about languages, whether known languages or whether new or unknown prayer languages, this gift of interpretations to be able to use and partner with that gift. And again, we could go on and on into much more detail, but you see variety. But again, you see as Paul began with the Spirit, we see ownership. These belong to God. Now what I love as we read the last verse for our time this week in verse 11, is that often when it comes to this list, there can be a tendency to kind of get lost in the weeds, so to speak, and again, there are good questions and there's some even good debates to be had. And so it's not about discouraging that, but the apostle through the Holy Spirit anticipated people being people. And he closes this section with this. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And so how does he close that passage? God is the giver, God is in charge, and let's not get so lost in the weeds that we forget the ultimate purpose of the gifts, which is your final fill-in, that they are for God's glory. That the gifts are for God's glory. And this idea of God's glory can sound very religious, but when we unpack it, it's truly beautiful that to bring God glory is to reveal who he really is. And what we see throughout scripture is that God is life. And for us to go out and use our gifts to bring God glory, is another way of saying that to a world that has yet to experience the life found in Jesus the King, we have the opportunity to bring God glory, to point and say, Jesus is life. And so by answering this call, by discovering and using our gifts as God asks us to, that is our opportunity to bring God glory and amen men to that. And so what I want to do just briefly, and we're going to kind of go through this section kind of quickly, is we've talked about a big picture, primary truths of what the gifts are. Now I want to talk a little bit about understanding our specific gifts. So there you have that on your note sheet. Understanding our gifts, what they are, and how to use them. So the question is, how do I discover my gifts? How do I know how to use them the way that God would like me to? And so your first fill-in is this, first and foremost, Pursue Jesus' leading. 
first and foremost, when it comes to spiritual gifts, pursue Jesus' leading. And especially if we are longtime Christ followers, if we are aware of some of the gifts that God has given us, there is a wonderful eagerness in us that can skip this step. But the reality is this step is a model of our Christian lives that we need to be before the presence of God in a new, deep dependence on God to seek his leading. We need to remember he's not only the giver, he's the creator of the gifts. And so we need to go to the creator and go, hey, affirm, reveal, and how do you want me to use it? Again, there's a well-intentioned eagerness in us, but what I've been learning in my own life, when God, God has been pulling some pride out of my heart, he's telling me, hey, you're making way too many assumptions. And there's a phrase about that that I won't repeat. <laughs> and over this last year of my life, the Lord's been leading me personally on a journey, leading me to a deeper level of dependence. And I gotta be honest, it's kind of rattled my pride a little bit. Because as the Lord began this journey in my life, I'm like, God, but I'm mature, I'm following you. And the Lord isn't negating that. He's like, yeah, but for the next season, for your next step, for your family, for your life, for the church that you're a part of, you need to understand a deeper level of dependence and stop making so many assumptions. He's been taking me back to the Beatitudes, specifically, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are utterly dependent on God in all areas, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know what I've discovered? This new level of dependence is increasing my capacity, it's increasing my emotional health, it's increasing my strength, it's increasing God's will being unleashed in my life. And so my invitation to you, Rocky Peak, is not to skip over this step, but again, it's the posture of humility that whether you know what your gifts are or not, that all of us would go before God the Father, would sit in unrushed time, as I often encourage you, specifically would sit with this passage and would pray to the Lord, Father, would you reveal the gifts you have given me? Father, would you affirm the gifts that I'm fairly sure or I know that you have given me? And also ask, Father, would you lead me in how and when and in what areas to use your gifts? And let me do a quick sidebar here for some of you, for many of you actually, my guess would be that if you go before the Lord, you may not get an immediate answer and there's an intentionality in this that the Lord is present with you, but the Lord is gonna use this as a catalyst to begin developing a new rhythm of dependence in your life, a new habit and a new rhythm of going before him and asking King Jesus, what do you want to do? in my life. So there below that, you're gonna see some additional steps, and I mean that word, additional, not instead of. Additional steps when it comes to understanding our gifts. And the next fill-in is this wise counsel. These would be men and women, family members, friends, leaders in our lives that love the Lord Jesus, but also know you. 
and can speak into your life, that can see things for you, that can pray on your behalf, that can call out things maybe you don't see, that can affirm some of what you're sensing the Lord is revealing. This is an incredible gift of being part of church community. And if you're a Christ follower and you're new to Rocky Peak and you go, you know what, I don't know if I have those relationships yet, don't let that be a discouragement. Let this be an opportunity to begin developing those relationships. Maybe it's gonna be by joining a life group next session. Maybe it's gonna be by jumping into a place of service, but this is part of a beautiful, bigger story that God is writing in your life. And then the third fill-in, the third way to understand our gifts is service opportunities. And something that is truly important of this is that we are not called to serve when we have all the answers. We are not called to serve when we know specifically what our gifts are, how they're supposed to be used, and what specific area God is calling us to. It's actually the other way around. Jumping in and serving is an absolutely fantastic way to discover not only what your gifts are, but to be able to discover what way, in what way they should be unleashed. See, often when we think of serving, we kind of have a very low view of it, and we just think, do I like that area or do I not? And that's the wrong way of thinking about it. The right way to be thinking about it is what does God want to do, and is he asking me to take a leap of faith? Is he asking me to enter into something that not only is going to benefit our local church, but it's going to benefit my life and my role as a partner in God's mission because he's going to unleash something bigger. See, some of you know this about my life, but I was given the privilege through God of being part of our middle school ministry for 12 years of my adult life. And here's the thing that's always funny to me about that. I was asked to be a part of that many times before I did it, and each time my answer was absolutely not. And I felt justified. That's not my gift. That's not what I want to do. That's not what I like to do. There is no way that that is where I'm supposed to be. And what changed was not my desire at first. What changed wasn't necessarily what I thought. What changed was God got involved. You see how that ties into the pursuit Jesus is leading. And so remember, as Christ followers, we are under the leadership of King Jesus. And we need to go before him and we need to go, Jesus, what are you possibly calling me to do? What do you want to do in our life? And so as we look at opportunities, the local church is a beautiful place because of the numerous opportunities he gives. If we look at something like Rocky Peak Kids or middle school or high school or young adults, if we look at something like life groups or we look at something like Celebrate Recovery, if we look at something like global ministries like we saw in that video, we are not the ones to say absolutely not. That's God's job. We're being asked to go before and to say, Jesus, how do you want to use the gifts you have given me? Where do you want to use them? And allow him to lead. And it will blow your minds the way God will unlock gifts in ways and in areas that you will have never dreamed of on your own. And so as we go ahead and transition 
out of this time. Like we've talked about, we're gonna be celebrating baptisms throughout the service. And the beautiful thing is we're gonna hear a lot of different stories about the same King Jesus that has transformed lives. We get the opportunity to celebrate with our brothers and sisters that they have a new identity and a new calling and a new gifting. And so I'm gonna go ahead and pray to lead us into this time. And as I do, if you're here this morning to get baptized while I'm praying, you can go ahead and go ahead and come to the front of the stage. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you have given us a new identity. We thank you that you have given us a new calling. We thank you that you've given us a new gifting to be able to live out this calling. And so Jesus simply put, as the church, not just Rocky Peak, but individuals, we are the church. We come under your authority. These are your gifts. This is for your glory. And we beautifully say, Jesus, your will be done. And let that unleash just a new level of partnership in our lives, Jesus. It's in your name we all said, amen.